Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, just make us strong in Christ. You have given us authority that we hardly understand. Even today, Lord, as we watch you on the cross, may our hearts swell with thanksgiving. May we rise in faith. You have done it all for us. We receive what you have done. We walk in what you have finished. We love you and we bless you and we are, because of you, given eternal life. We believe in you. We confess you today. I pray for eyes that see, ears that hear, a heart that opens up. And Lord, we will believe the word of God. I pray that you will grace me to get out of the way. We want to fall in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. We're going to, to John 19. By the way, this is the smallest font we've ever had. And in, uh, in my defense... There are, and ushers, would you grab those? There are large print ones, so that if you look at that and go, that's ridiculous. Just, they, we have large print versions, so you can read it. Here's why it's so small. The sermon itself is not. Uh, the sermon itself is not that long. Uh, but, well, you, you'll be the judge of that. Um, but what it is, is I'm, ahead, I'm, 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 I'm pressing ahead of the daily Bible study. So basically, the daily Bible study you have on the back was for last week. And so now this week, I've had to put uh, portions of what will be next week's daily Bible study in this so that I can, give you, um, I can give you an understanding of the passage we're reading. I have been in this, in this since John 17... I feel like I need to take these, these, these sections of what ha- is happening to Jesus in units. I, I, I dealt with the uh, trial with Pilate. Now, I could take little chunks, but by the time I do that, you lose the great majesty of it. You lose the flow of it. You lose the big picture of it. All you do is little, little chunkies all the way through. And, and here it is again. This is the crucifixion of Jesus. And I don't want to take it in little chunks. I want us to see the power of it through John's eyes. Because John does something remarkable. John is a, is a teacher. John wrote his gospel after all the others were written. And he wrote it to, to say things, to teach the church, to make a powerful point. And that's what you're going to see today. He's going to show us uh, particular things about the crucifixion. Uh, he was standing right there. Of all the, all the witnesses, John stood by the cross. He heard Jesus say things others didn't hear. He watched things happen others couldn't see. You follow this? This is unique. It's enormously important. Our apostles testifying to what he's seen and heard. So if you're getting a, a, a large print there, you can actually follow. All right. Let me ask a question as we begin. Have you ever gone through a season when it was very hard to hear his voice. Yet somehow, he communicated with you. Do you have them? I, I'll, I ask that question, and I tell you what I think the answer is, is absolutely yes. In fact, it comes and goes on and off. There are moments and days when you feel uh, like you're very alone, 
You sit there and you call on him and you want him and you can't feel him. Other times he's so close you can hardly breathe. Uh, it, 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 it tends to vary like that. I think it does for all of us. It does certainly for me. I've even had a, a time where I'm sitting in, in my rocking chair in the living room going, Lord, just please be close to me. Where are you? You know, Just that sense of distance. Other times, there he is. What we're going to see today is we're looking at Jesus at a moment when the Father withdrew from him. For three hours, he became sin. He took on human sin, the moral responsibility for the whole thing. And his communication with the Father was broken. And there in that horrible moment, God the Father nonetheless spoke to his Son and declared who he was through different ways, unusual ways. That's what John saw, and that's what he's going to tell us today. Look at this. Look how the Father spoke and declared his son, even in this dark moment. And the point is, he does the same for us. Even in when you, can't, you think you can't hear through those normal avenues. Remember some of the normal avenues? I, I have that 4V thing. It's pretty stretched, but it works for me. Visual, you see things. Verbal, you hear things. Uh, visceral, uh, that's your guts. Um, that's you feel things. And versatile, that's the best. He reminds you of a verse of scripture. So those are normal avenues. Those are the ways God talks to us all the time. But does he talk to you through other ways? Are there times when you can't hear, you can't seem to see, you can't feel anything? And yet there is uh, the Lord speaking somehow. He'll, he has, finds ways to talk to you and tell you he loves you and tell you that he's there and tell you who you are, even in those difficult hours. I'll start at verse 17. I'm going to read down John 19, verse 17, down to verse 30. They took Jesus, therefore. This is after Pilate has signed his, his sentence of execution. And he went out bearing his own cross to a place called the place of the skull, which is, in, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Would you say the king of the Jews? <laughs> Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, and every, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was, a, was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That's from Psalm 22, the same psalm Jesus quoted uh, from the cross that day when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Therefore, the, no, Say, therefore the soldiers did these things. 
See what John's telling us? Yeah. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Would you say, woman, behold your son? Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. Would you say that? For, pardon me, from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished. Let's say all things had already been accomplished. accomplished. To fulfill the scripture, he said, I, I am thirsty. Pardon me, accomplished to fulfill the scripture. Said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop. Say hyssop. And brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Let's say that. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Say gave up his spirit. What John saw. Even though Jesus was crucified like a common criminal... If someone knew what to look for, there were signs all through that terrible event that pointed to the truth about him. John alone among the 11 disciples was present at Jesus' side while he was dying on the cross. So he personally saw and heard the events he reports and also had the spiritual capacity to recognize those signs in the midst of all that horror. He knew that God was still bearing witness to his son. See, he's, he's selecting certain events. I, I'm going to show you five. There's actually, I, you could argue there's more there. But I'm, I think there's f- at least five major things that John saw with his eyes. He, he understood spiritually, that's God. That is so God speaking, declaring his son in the midst of all this ugliness. God is speaking Loudly about his son. As Jesus was dying, the outward circumstances looked as if the father had completely abandoned him. It appeared that evil had triumphed and Jesus had been defeated. And yet time after time, in the most amazing ways, the glorious truth about Jesus was proclaimed. And that's why in his description of the crucifixion, John chooses to tell us about certain events. Each one, in a different way, testifies that Jesus is who he said he is. Today, we will join John as he stood by the side of the cross. We want to see those events through his eyes. We want to hear Jesus' words through his ears. It's as though the apostle has pulled a veil aside and is inviting us to see the crucifixion from God's point of view. He'll show us things that we might have missed. But once we see them, they become obvious. And in the process, we discover that he is not only teaching us about the cross, he's training us to hear from God at a deeper level than we may have ever heard before. As we watch God testify to his son, during those hours of suffering, we learn how to recognize God's voice, even in the most difficult moments of our lives. Even when it seems that the darkness is triumphing over us, God will always be there And he will not be silent. Say, he will not be silent. 
Have you ever seen these pictures? We used to have one around here somewhere. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, but it looks, when you just look at the picture, it's like a bunch of colorful dots. You know, it just sort of blah. It's this whole big mass of dots. And you look at it and go, what is that? Well, if you stand there and you look at it, and I find if you just cross your eyes a little bit, that seems to help a little bit. And you stare at it in a certain way, all of a sudden, uh, this particular one we had, there was a lake and a pine tree and mountaintops and a fish jumping out of the water. You know, and then after a while, you can't be cross-eyed forever. You know, you back and there it is, just dots. There's something there that upon initial look, you don't see. But it is there. It really is there. But you have to see it with a different set of eyes. You ever, ever read Where's Waldo? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that book, you know, the Where's Waldo? And every page you turn and there's this massive crowd or there's some sort of event. And you're looking all over. It's a children's book. Um, but you're looking all over for Waldo. And there's Waldo over here. And there's Waldo over here. But once you've read through it, you know where Waldo is. You know, you go, he's there. You know, because your eye has been trained to know where Waldo is. Uh, we had a friend uh, who, when we were ministering on uh, Whidbey Island, uh, she had a house down near the, one of these beaches that was just covered with uh, those, those rocks, you know, the, the washed rocks, usually an inch, two inches diameter, just a solid beach of those things. Well, we would go looking there for agates. Uh, you know what an agate is. It's kind of, uh, it's turned into something of a glass. So you, you see the, the light through. It's volcanic. Um, but they look, when you look just down the beach, they just, it looks like nothing but a bunch of rocks out of granite or whatever. But if you walk there, and particularly in the late afternoon, the, the sun gets down low enough that it hits, that, it hits those rocks at a right angle, and you're just walking along, and one of them will glow. All of a sudden, what looked like a plain old rock isn't, and you pick it out, and there's something beautiful. In fact, I've learned because I, you train when you train your eye to do this. I've found them in my in my in my landscaping, you know, at home. You know, like oh, there's an agate, you know, because I've trained the eye. I've trained the eye. John's training our eye. He's showing us. A deeper level, or I don't know if it's, a, it's not a better level, but it's a, it is another level in which God talks to his people. And he's showing that when the other ways aren't there, God won't be silent. Some of us today, in our dark places, in our difficult places, in our lonely places, we need to see at another level. We need to see his faithfulness because he is speaking to us. He is telling us he loves us. He is telling us who we are. He will not be silent. I almost played this. Um, I had it taped, and I was, we were, but it's just her Dutch brogue is a little too thick, and I'm thinking, I don't know that they can all understand what she said. Corey Ten Boom, do you know her name? Yeah. No, I, uh, I've list, I listened to her. I, I used to uh, hear her on numerous occasions uh, live. I mean, and, and she uh, would come and preach in the United States, and and uh, one day, my mom, or two days, actually, my mother had the, the joy of, of, of being her, her, her transportation. And she drove her all over the place for two days and got to spend time with her. When we went to Holland, uh, one of these times, uh, Mary, Mary and I uh, got to go and see her house, or, or actually her, it was a, a clock shop. 
uh, there in Harlem, is it? And uh, I've still got pictures on my phone of it. Um, Corey Ten Boom, her, her father and her sister, uh, all were captured for, for, for uh, protecting Jews uh, when, the, when the Nazis came in and took hold of, 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 of the Netherlands. And uh, they, got, they got caught. Um, and they, they call, there's a movie out called The Hiding Place. If you ever want to see the story of it, they made a movie of her. Um, she is one of the best teachers uh, I've ever known. I still have deep things in me that I learned from Corey Ten Boom. Uh, I still give out her books. Anyway, she, she, I, I just happened to be going through our old tapes, you know, and, and uh, this past summer, and I, I thought they were, wouldn't, wouldn't work. Cassette tapes, anyone remember what those are? There's these little <laughs> things that go around, you know, and it goes by. Yeah. Um, so I put one on. I found a tape player, and uh, still kept one, and I put this thing on, and, and it worked, and, and there it was. And uh, I put on a tape by her called Victorious Love. And she starts talking, and, and she begins to tell about an event. And uh, when she was, she was captured and put in a concentration camp, one called Ravensbrück. Um, my guess is Ravensbrück means uh, ravens and a brook. Uh, probably is a uh, scriptural name remembering Elijah. Elijah. Remember that? What a, what a horrible name for a concentration camp. Uh, uh, or maybe there's, there's some grace in it. And she said that the women every day would be brought out and lined up uh, and, and uh, in roll call in, in the morning, uh, you know, in, in the freezing cold or whatever. And she said they had a very cruel uh, officer uh, who would do all kinds of horrible things. And she didn't go into detail. She just said it was terrible. And you would stand there and, you know, have to just be waiting in this terrible thing, and just the sorrow of it and the horror of it was just breaking the women's hearts. I mean, who can bear this kind of inhuman ugliness, this demonic ugliness? And she said, one day when we thought we could bear it no more, suddenly a a lark appeared, a bird, and it flew over our heads, and for, I don't remember, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, stayed right over the women and sang. And she said, all the women looked up. And she said, you you could feel in it the love of God. She said, that lark came every day at that same time and sang over them for two weeks. Now, she still remembers it. She had eyes to see and ears to hear the voice of God. Are you following this? His kindness, even in that horror, his kindness over them. I'm here. I love you. John the teacher. John's gospel was the last of the four to be written. And I I believe he wrote it to clarify certain truths about Jesus. Which even in the first century were becoming confused in the minds of some. He also added to his gospel information which he personally recalled but which had been overlooked by the other three writers. So when we come to his account of the crucifixion, we find that John leaves out many of the details recorded by the others, such as Simon of Cyrene helping to carry the cross, the crowd of mourners following Jesus, Jesus asking the Father to forgive those who 
crucified him. The religious rulers mocking him. The soldiers offering him wine mixed with myrrh. That's a drug. He did not take it, if you recall. The dialogue with the two thieves. Jesus' cry from Psalm 22. I quoted it a minute ago. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Three hours of darkness. We're not told how that happened, but whether it be, whether it be clouds or whether it be some sort of eclipse of something or something strange happened and the place went dark for three hours. The veil of the temple torn in two. Jesus' commitment, to, commitment of his spirit to the Father, the earthquake, the centurion's faith, or the crowd's response to all the strange phenomena. There was literally uh, tombs opening up and everything else, and the people go out beating their breasts. He doesn't record uh, any of that, but John also added new information, which he alone knew because he did not flee when Jesus was arrested. He followed him through his trials and even stood near the foot of the cross while Jesus was dying. So John saw and heard things the others did not. When John wrote his description of the crucifixion, he selected and emphasized only a few events. Ones which the other gospel writers either mentioned only briefly or not at all. Because they were not near enough to see or hear them. As we look more closely at the events John chose to report, we will discover that John is teaching us a very profound truth. He will show us that God was testifying to his son, even during those horrible hours when so many negative things were happening. God was not silent even then. He honored his son. He provided signs that declared who he is. And he does the same for us in the midst of our trials. Let's let John teach us how to recognize those signs. There we go. I'm going to take you through it now, and I have, um, this is only part of what I had uh, for the daily Bible study. You'll get that next week. But I wanted to show you the, the key passages. I want you to feel uh, the, the, the beauty of what John's doing. Let's begin by trying to understand the events John chose to include in his description of the crucifixion. I see at least five signs that powerfully pointed to the truth about Jesus. This would be the first. John tells us that the soldiers took custody of Jesus and that he went out bearing his own cross to a place which is called the place of the skull. In Hebrew, the name is Golgotha. And they crucified him there between two other men who had also been condemned to die. When a criminal was executed in the Roman Empire, the the cause of that person's condemnation was written on a board and carried in front of the person or hung around their neck. In this case, Pilate arranged to have this board attached to uh, Jesus' cross, and on it he wrote, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Obviously, those words identify no crime during deserving death. In fact, the title honors Jesus as the Messiah. We're not told why Pilate wrote those words. He may have done so as a way of infuriating the religious leaders after they had threatened to report him to Caesar. Or he may have written them as a way of publicly announcing that he found no guilt in Jesus and even suspected that he might be Israel's Messiah, though it's unlikely Pilate would have known what that title really meant. The Roman government used crucifixion as a way of intimidating a whole population. They placed execution sites near major roads and intersections. They wanted as many people as possible to walk by and see what Rome did to those who committed crimes or defied its authority. The place of the skull was a highly visible location just outside the walls of Jerusalem, near the Damascus Gate. 
And the inscription Pilate placed over Jesus' head was written in three different languages. Hebrew, the language of Israel. Latin, the language of Rome. And Greek, the, un the universal language of trade and commerce at the time. So everyone passing by could read it. And would marvel that there was no criminal charge leveled at the man being crucified. But instead a proclamation that he was the Jewish Messiah. God used an unbelieving Roman governor to proclaim the truth about Jesus. I want to show you a couple of slides. Uh, these are uh, uh, pictures that I, I got over there uh, when we went to Israel. And I want to show you the place of the skull and I'm going to get mine out of the way. No, no, I, okay. <laughs> I can show you the other pictures, please. There we go. This was taken in 1900 from the walls of Jerusalem. In fact, if you look down here in the corner, you can see the shadow of the parapet from the wall. Do you see that? Here we have a highway going, a road going right by us. People walking on it and all that. Do you see that whole face of that cliff? Do you see right here with two eyes and a nose and a mouth, a skull? That, was, that whole face of things was carved at least back to the 5th century B.C. This is not new. In fact, what the top of that is, right now it's a, it's a Muslim cemetery, but what the top of that is, is the top of Mount Moriah. Remember where Abraham took uh, Isaac? Yeah. Well, the, and, and that Mount Moriah used to come all the way here. And, and this has been carved out by quarrying the rock out. That's where they got the rock to build uh, Jerusalem. And the reason they particularly quarried this is because it was militarily a very dangerous spot for them. This is where the enemy could come right over the top and right down to the city. And they would, they would have no, nothing but just the wall to protect them. So going clear back probably to, to Solomon's time, and certainly we, we know by Jeremiah's time and everything else, they quarried back. They quarried it back to make a, a huge notch here so that enemies couldn't come any closer. When they executed people, they uh, would, if they stoned them, do you remember what the first step was in stoning? Tie their hands and then you push them off something high. Well, this is where they did that too. You can see that. So take that wall out and that little house and somewhere right here, there would have been, they took them out, and they crucified them where everybody could see it. There's actually another highway, the Damascus Highway, running north that intersects right over here, and the Damascus Gate is just off to our left. So they took him out, and in this, in this most public place of all, they stick this cross with a sign in three languages, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. What an amazing thing. That's the truth. The Roman governor in three languages told everybody the truth. God is able to somehow speak even through an unbeliever and declare the truth. Now, you see over here that's little wall clear to the left here. You see a little uh, mud brick wall. All right, now I'm going to show you what's just over that wall. Here's the next picture. This was taken in 1898. This garden is just on the other side of that wall. And this tomb, which was absolutely ancient enough, uh, and, and you see the rolling way for the rock? It's got a little thing in it at that point. Somebody took the rock. 
Um, that guy's still there, by the way. No, I haven't. <laughs> um, it says that they took him down from the cross, these two old men, and they wrapped him up with the, with, uh, with, uh, the, the strips and the, of linen and the, and the things, and they took him to an, a, a, in a garden nearby. There it is. They took him in and, and Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and he, they, they buried him there. There it is, I believe. You see how this has been carved into a... Can you see a bit of an arch in the rock that goes over that? That's because that was a part of a, a, an ancient Christian church going clear back to the third century. Uh, see the notches there? That's where they would put their, their, uh, their lamps and, and all. This has been a holy site to the Christians going clear back um, because of our Lord, I believe. All right, let's go back to this. The place of the skull, it was nearby, right in the middle of that public place, just to the north of the walls, right outside the Damascus Gate. They crucify him, and they declare him the Messiah. Let's look at verse 23, 25. The other gospels briefly mention that the soldiers divided and cast lots for Jesus' garments. But John gives us more detail. He tells us that they tore one garment into four parts, giving one part to each soldier. And then they cast lots for Jesus' tunic. A tunic is a long shirt-like garment that extends down to the feet. That tunic had been lovingly woven to fit Jesus, and it had no seam, which made it more valuable if left untorn, which is why the soldiers decided to cast lots for it and give it intact to the winner. John saw those details because he was standing there, and at some point, either then or later, he realized the spiritual importance of what those soldiers did. Unknowingly, they had fulfilled a prophecy. John says they did those things, quote, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my garments among themselves, and upon my clothing they cast a lot. They That quote is from Psalm 22, the same psalm Jesus quoted as he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those soldiers did exactly what David prophesied they would do a thousand years earlier. By their cruel greed, those unbelieving executioners glorified Jesus. In the middle of this all, God showed John and Jesus that he was completely in control. He was completely in control. This was a moment, it was a, it was a terrible moment, but it, that prophecy down to small details, small details, how do you arrange that? And it goes on, by the way. I stopped at the death of the Lord, uh, but there's more, more remarkable details that God is in showing himself in control. Verse 25, John next turns his attention to an event which he himself was involved. He first explains that there was a group of women standing beside the cross during the hours Jesus hung there. He identifies them as Jesus' mother, Mary, her sister, Salome, the mother of James and John, another woman named Mary, apparently the wife of Clopas, possibly Joseph's brother, and if so, this woman would have been Mary's sister-in-law. And Mary Magdalene, a woman from the town of Magdala, which they have found now. We go and visit the synagogue of it. It's really beautiful. It's a reasonably new find. On the west side of the Sea of Galilee, 
out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons. Just before he died, in the midst of his agony, Jesus looked up and saw his mother and John standing beside her. John never names himself or his family when he writes. So, so here he calls himself the disciple whom he loved. Jesus first spoke to his mother and said, Woman, behold your son. And then he spoke to John and said, Behold your mother. As the eldest son of the family, as the male head of his family, because evidently Joseph had died, leaving Mary without a husband, Jesus was asking John to take her into his own household and care for her as though she were his own mother. If, as I suppose, John's mother Salome is Mary's sister, therefore John is Jesus' first cousin, this, makes, this is very understandable. Do you see this? Yeah, did you know that? Uh, Salome, uh, his, mother, his, his mother's sister. So you've got Mary and her sister standing there, and probably her sister-in-law, and Mary Magdalene are there. Standing by the cross. These women, they don't care what the Romans do. <laughs> you know, they had the guts. They had the heart. They had the loyalty. They're coming up and they're going to stand by that cross regardless. And John stood with them. So this is, and, and Salome's John's mom. So he's standing there with his mother and with his aunt. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is his aunt. Yet sadly, It also reveals the spiritual condition of his siblings. The fact cannot be ignored that Jesus did not leave his his mother in their care. Did you notice that? Instead, he placed her in a household which shared her faith. That John chose to include this event in his brief description of the crucifixion means that he saw in it a sign pointing to the truth about Jesus. For a man in such unspeakable agony to arrange for the care of his mother literally moments before he will die reveals a level of compassion beyond what normal human beings would do. Under that kind of pressure, a person's genuine character is exposed. But instead of fear, anger, or self-pity, Jesus only expressed a shepherd's heart to protect those he loved. It's miraculous. It testifies of who Jesus is. You know, sometimes we think that what people need to see is us successful. That they won't want our Jesus unless we're successful. If we're, if we're rich and happy and well and, and everything's going great, uh, then people will want our Jesus. But if we have difficulties, if we're going through hardships and struggling and there's sorrow in our lives, people will never want our Jesus. I'll tell you something. When you and I are under pressure, that's when our real character shows. And people know that. And so when they watch you suffer, they watch how you suffer. And they watch, they, they, because you, you, you know, it's like when you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Orange juice, you know, it's, it's what's in there. But when you put a person under pressure, uh, we, can, we can be smiley, we can be friendly, we can be oh so nice when we're feeling great. But boy, you put us under enough pressure and we find out what's there. I mean, Monday morning in the garage, trying to arrange stuff. I, I'm, I'm, I'm delightful. You see what's there under pressure. Here is a man under, I mean, we, can, we cannot conceive of any more pressure than this. There, there isn't any more. He is being crucified. 
He's been there for uh, since uh, nine o'clock in the morning. He's, he's going. To, he's, he's dying. Uh, his body is 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 at least going through this horror of of trying to breathe. The whole thing. And in those moments, what does he do? He cares for his mother. He looks up and sees her and says, John, take care of her, please. What a person. That's your Lord. That, that when you squeeze him, there's nothing but the love of God that comes out of him. I mean, it is. It's a powerful testimony. To who is this person, Jesus? Verses 28 and 29. Here John brings us to the final moments of Jesus' life. He says, after this, Jesus, knowing that now all things had been completed. And that now is there. That now all things had been completed so that the scripture might be fulfilled. Said, I thirst. He had fully carried the punishment for our sin. He had endured unspeakable physical torment and complete spiritual separation from the Father. All that remained was for him to die. But before that happened, he needed a drink of liquid to clear his throat so he could make an announcement. The soldiers kept a jar of vinegar nearby, and a sponge filled with it was offered up to him on a branch of hyssop. I don't have time to do a sermon on that, but do you know what a hyssop hyssop is? Hyssop is a very special plant, and it does grow all over the area. It's like a bu- it's it's bush-like. It's got woody woody stems, and it's very fragrant. Uh, when we go to a, 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 we go to a botanical garden, if if we missed it one year because of, of circumstance, but I always take people there. It's a 600-acre botanical garden that has all the plants of the Bible and and, and cisterns and things, and it, it. So we go. One of the things they do, and I always say I want to do that, is. Uh, uh, they take us to a place with, with the hyssop bushes there, and then they take, we take the leaves and we, we, we crush them up in a, in a mortar and pestle. And, you, and uh, then you can put them in a little plastic bag and, and bring them home. And I've, I've not had trouble getting it through, the, through customs. Just beautiful. I think it's related to the sage family. So it's this beautiful smelling thing. But here's the point. It, in, in the, if you go back to Exodus chapter 12 with a description of the first Passover... It says that every family is to take a branch of hyssop and dip it in the lamb's blood and sprinkle it on the doorposts and lintel of the house. A branch of what? When, when Israel made their covenant with, with the Lord at Mount Sinai, Moses took a branch of hyssop and dipped it in the blood and he sprinkled the people. When, when the priest would cleanse the temple, they would go through and they would put a branch of hyssop in the blood and they would sprinkle the articles of the temple. They'd sprinkle the priests. This is a holy thing. It's a beautiful thing. The soldiers didn't even know what they're doing. They, they want to put a sponge up there to his mouth and they don't want to get... And notice, a branch of hyssop's not going to be much longer than about that. So he's not way up there. Don't think of Jesus way up there. They, that's, that's nonsense. He, he's just above the ground but so they take this branch and they put a sponge full of vinegar and they stick it up to his mouth. And I didn't even mention, but Psalm 69 says they gave me vinegar to drink. <laughs> Holds it up for him to drink. He's got to clear his throat. He's got something to say. After drinking the vinegar, Jesus was able to speak clearly. And he said, it is finished. 
The other Gospels mention that Jesus uttered a loud cry just before he died. Luke tells us he, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I think that would be the next thing. But John was close enough to hear something the others couldn't hear. He heard Jesus declare that he had now fulfilled all that was required of him. He heard a man who was in full control of the situation. You see this? He is no victim. He is no victim. He, 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 he will not die till he's finished everything he has to do. He has to suffer certain things. Prophetic things have to happen. He waits till he can go. He's in complete control of this. No one was taking his life. He was offering it freely. The cross didn't kill Jesus. John says he bowed the head and delivered up the spirit. Jesus had said, no one takes my life from me, but I give it freely of my own will. Isn't that beautiful? So John says, I watched him. And then he says, he, 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 he delivered up his spirit. He didn't, the cross didn't kill him. He just said, now it's time. It is finished. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he, he, he shouted it. His head went down and he gave up his spirit. What John saw, he saw the sign over Jesus' head and realized that God had used an unbeliever to proclaim the truth about him. Never think God can't speak through unbelievers. I've had people say to me, well, I don't listen to my parents. They aren't believers. Boy, I'm telling you, you're going you're gonna to miss some important stuff. Uh, even if they aren't unbelievers, God will still speak. He will still, you, 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 yes, you sift and sort, but you listen carefully. Never turn someone off and just be, you know, sort people in categories like that. It's a terrible mistake. You open your, mind, your heart. Here's Pilate. What does he know? But he has just said in the clearest of terms, he's announced it in three languages to, to, to hundreds, maybe thousands of people, probably thousands of people. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He doesn't even understand what he's doing. But God used him. Number two, he saw cruel soldiers greedily fulfill an ancient prophecy and realized how completely God was in control, down to the smallest details. He saw Jesus' character under pressure. His agony, in his agony, only the love of God came out. He saw Jesus refuse to die until he had fulfilled everything he must do to save us. He saw that the cross did not kill Jesus, but that he was willingly delivered up his spirit when he chose to. In difficult times. There are times when it is easy to hear from God. But there are also times when our normal avenues of communication with him become very difficult. In the midst of hardship or disappointment, we can feel very alone. Longing for a reassuring word from God but apparently hearing nothing. That sense of spiritual isolation is perhaps the most painful part of some trials. Wouldn't you agree? No matter what you're going through, if you feel distant from God, that's the worst part of it. That's the worst part of it at all. But what John has taught us today is that if we have the ears to hear and the eyes to see, that we will discover that God is never silent. He will always Confirm his love for us and reveal his glory through us. He will never leave us without a witness. 
But we must carefully watch and listen because he can communicate with us in many different ways. He may speak through someone who doesn't know him. He may use the very people who are hurting us and direct their actions so that they, they honor us without knowing it. Sometimes the greatest honor is who's your enemy. Yeah, it's a real compliment when some people don't like you. Seriously, it really is. They don't like what's in you. And, and just even by their very being, you'll, you'll begin, they'll, they'll actually uh, show forth that Christ is in you and he's in you strong. And that's what they're reacting to. It's, it's what it is. He may use the, uh, uh, under severe pressure, we may discover how deeply, listen to this, God has changed our character and placed his love in us. You don't really know what God's done until you're under pressure. You don't, you don't really know until, until those difficult times how deeply the work of Christ has taken hold in you. And it's in those moments that you'll, 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 be, you'll surprise yourself. You'll, you'll begin to see a level of faith of holding on to him. Even when you're going, I can't see anything. I don't see, I, I don't know what's going on here. It just seems like everything's uh, against us. And yet here it is. Even in that pain, even in that moment, you do not deny the Lord. You suffer, but you don't, acute, but you don't reject him. That's powerful. That's the story of Job, isn't it? I mean, really, you look at the, you look at the story of Job, and the story of Job is that the, the devil comes along and he says to God, you've got this guy and you've blessed him, and that's why he serves you. He only serves you because you've made him prosperous and, and, and happy and well. He, he didn't really love you. He says stuff to you to keep you from giving the goodies. You're the candy man. And if you stop it, he'll, he, he'll curse you to your face. You, you, you just watch. He didn't really love you. God says, all right, we'll take away the stuff around him, but but leave him alone. So all that goes away. Boy, Job moans and groans. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, it gives me a lot of encouragement. He he complains uh, and and moans and groans, but in all of it he did, he never cursed God. He never turned his back. He just suffered in faith. Then the devil comes along and says, well, it's because you haven't touched his body. You know, you, you touch his body, skin for skin. He said, man, what will a man give for that? He says, yeah, you, ta- you touch him. You make him sick. You, you, you let me make him sick. God doesn't do that. You let me make him sick. You let me do stuff to him. And he says, you watch. He'll curse you to face. God says, all right, you can touch his body, but, but don't take his life. And so poor Job ends up scraping boils on an ash heap, you know, just miserable, everything around him. His, his wife says, curse God and die, for heaven's sakes. You know, um, and, 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 and Job is in, a, and Job says, I wish I'd never been born. Uh, Job says, uh, this isn't fair, and it wasn't. Uh, Job's complaints are accurate, by the way. Do you know that? He says, I don't deserve this, and he did not. He's, he, he did not deserve this. But in all of it, he, did, he, he never turned his back on the Lord. He showed the world that he loved God from the heart, that he believed in him, that he was loyal to him, not because of the stuff he gave him and not even when he was well. He loved him from the heart. And Job gave a great testimony, and he won. And then God, of course, exalts him at the end. It, it's a powerful truth. In, in the book of Job. 
What are you like under pressure? You may be miserable. You may moan and groan. You may say, I wish I'd been never born. This is awful. But you have stayed loyal to the Lord. You still love him. You still believe in him. You can't explain things. You don't know why it's going on like this. You don't know what's happening. Why did these things happen? All these unanswered questions. But you hold on to him, and he is yours. Your testimony is loud and clear. I usually give negative illustrations of myself because I have lots of them to share. And, but I have a good one here, reasonably. So I thought, why not share one of those every so often? I was at a meeting uh, on the East Coast with uh, a bunch of, uh, of leaders of our movement. And there was a debate going on. And I'll just tell you what it was. It was over whether or not we should continue to ask our churches to tithe. And um, we have a historically always tithed as churches to, the, to mission. So we, churches, not only do we people tithe within our church, but our churches tithe and we give to mission like that. And some pastors were complaining and saying, that's a head tax. Why do we have to do this? And they, they were just saying, we shouldn't have to do this. And can't we negotiate this down? And uh, I really felt grieved over it. Because I believe that the tithe is a, is a form of worship. And I, I think you don't have to tithe. I, I, in fact, I said that. I said, nobody has to tithe. It's, it's a freely given act of, of worship and love. We, but it does come with a blessing, doesn't it? And, and so I, I, and I, at one point, I, I, had, I said, I believe I have the mind of the Lord on this. And I said, I believe, I believe that if, we, if, we, if, if churches stop tithing, I, it will impoverish them. That some will stop. If they don't have to, they won't. And because they, believe it or not, some pastors uh, don't get it. They do not tithe themselves or they struggle desperately with it. They don't tithe from their churches. They don't understand this. And some do. I've been a superintendent. It's usually the ones that didn't that I constantly was having to help financially. And the ones that did tithe, never had to help them. They were always given and generous. I'm just telling you, this thing works. So never mind. All right, I'm not, it's not a, this isn't a, I'm not fundraising. I'm just telling you the truth. All right, so I said that. And I didn't, I, I just said it. And one of the pastors, uh, who I've known for years, and he's one of the best pastors, he's a great pastor. But he was angry at me. And he stood up and he said, so can we test your prophecy? And it was like that. Now, how do you think I would respond I'll tell you what I did. I, w- I was stunned. And then, but I just looked at them all because there was others with him. And I said, of course you can. And I sat down. I didn't even want to be mean. I didn't even feel angry. I felt grieved and worried. But I didn't, there was no fight. And I, thought, I sat down and I thought, look at you. Because I'm going to tell you, you look at my history, and I can come back. It's, it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, it just, I can say awful things without even thinking about it. And, and, and I didn't. And the Lord said, I've done a work in you, haven't I? <laughs> you sure have. <laughs> it was almost worth it. To finish the story, several weeks later, 
I get this phone call from him, and he said, I have felt terrible <laughs> ever since I did that. And I thought, yes. <laughs> now, I'll tell you why I think I, I knew it. Because I had reacted in, in, in Christ. I had not fought back. I had not responded in kind. And so there was the conviction of the Lord. And he, he apologized beautifully. And, and I, I, I loved him. And, and he's, he's my friend to this day. Um, but you, when you're under pressure, that's when you're going to find some of the deepest things God's done in you. And where you would have in the past just caved in and given up, you aren't. You got questions and you hurt. You can moan and groan, but he's your Lord. What does Job say? Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. We come to that, don't we? Life will bring us to that. Life will bring every one of us to that point. Nobody just cruises. Nobody cruises. There's ups and there's downs. There's difficult times. And we all come to a place. And this will be our final standing point. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. For three long hours, Jesus could not hear God's voice as he hung on the cross. He had taken our sin and the spiritual communication that had always been there between the Father and the Son for all eternity stopped. He became like one of us when we can't hear God. And yet the father continued to speak to him. He honored him even then. But he did so in unusual ways. And he will do the same for us. When we go through difficult times, when God seems far away, that's when we need to look and listen very carefully. Because he's going to find a way to tell us he loves us. And to announce to the world... That we, we, who we really are. Would you stand with me? Aren't we grateful for the Apostle John? What a, boy, did he, did he open that up and show us something beautiful. How many today, uh, you, you are, you, you, let's just say this, you really resonate. When we talk about that place of being in a, in a difficult spot where it's sometimes it can be hard for you to hear him. Maybe you feel alone, and maybe you've been fighting quite a battle. Circumstances are there. Difficulties are there. Uh, it just seems like everything's against you. Sometimes it isn't even you. I mean, I'll tell you what can wear me out at times and just take the joy out of me is I see people I love. Just watching people have sickness or suffering. I just think, oh, Lord. So I've got all of this, and you just become, you just become heavy-hearted, bearing the weight of a, a, a longing for God to heal or deliver or, or bless a family or whatever it is. And you think, how long, Lord? There's so many needs. And you just, after a while, think, where are you, Lord? Where are you? How many can resonate with that? Here's the truth to you. Listen to this. He is with us, and he is not silent. And even when we can't hear through some other channels, I promise you, he is talking to you. He is telling you he loves you. He is giving you signs. He is there. You are his beloved. Those, react, those, those realities never change. 
You're his. And even if that's, all of that's there, he's like that lark singing over you. He's with you and he will not forsake you. What was our Lord's promise? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our, comment to, our, our response to him is, Lord, though you slay me, yet will I serve you. Lord, hear us this day. We love you, Jesus. As we watch through, watch through John's eyes and we watch you under pressure, nothing came out but your love. In the greatest agony of all, your shepherd's heart is there. Our Heavenly Father, you, 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 you caused even the unbelieving, even those who, 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 who are hurting him, to testify to him. And Lord, you will do this with us. This day we say we are yours, children of God, by our faith in Jesus Christ, by putting our arms around that, that, that cross. Lord, we are righteous with him. We are yours and you will never forsake us. You will never leave us. So we ask that ears open up and eyes open to see. That we, our hearts would behold your, your faithful care of us, your presence with us, your strong hand. We bless you, our Lord. We bless you. Praise you, Jesus. Would you just tell him right now, just, I just feel like the Lord's here. Would you just speak to him and say to him, Lord, I do believe. I love you. And I know you're with me. I know you're speaking to me. Maybe even through this word today. I needed to hear this. And you're telling me you love me. You're telling me you've not left me. That you are not silent. You declare to the world who I am. Even in these difficult times. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. Lord, who do we love like you? Who is like you? Who is kinder? Who is more gracious? Who is more faithful? There's none like you. We love you and honor you this day. Let our hearts rise to you. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.